Hey guys, you'll need that, uh, that passage from Isaiah 40 open. Um, just one thing, um, what, we, what I've done when I preach from now on is I've prepared a little handout for those of you who take notes. If you want a handout, just put up your hand. Jen is going to give one to you, but you don't need it if you don't want to. Um, but how about I pray um, as they are being handed out, and we can go from there. I'll put this over here. Let's pray. Father God, we are, we are desperate this morning to hear from you. Lord, this week for so many of us has been hard and rough. And so we need to once again be comforted by you. We need to be reminded of the great hope that we have. For, for, for some of us, Life, uh, we just feel like we're hanging on by a thread. Lord, I pray that today, that as we encounter you in your word, you would change us. Help us to be reminded of the great hope that we have in you, in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would walk away from here today, changed because we've encountered you in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I think we all need and we all know we need is hope. Hope is the idea that the f- sometime in the future is going to be better than now. It, it, it was, it, it's been interesting um, just over the last probably 15 years. We've seen the rise and fall of politicians, but a lot of politicians talk about hope, hope in the future. I mean, Barack Obama was all about hope, wasn't he? And yet, it seems like we don't know where to get hope from. I I put in Spotify, I put the word hope, and I was listening to some of the songs about hope, a lot of Christian songs. But there was this song by Thirsty Merc, which is a great Christian band, how, uh, not Christian band, Aussie band, sorry about that. Uh, Haron, I think you know the song that I'm talking about right now. Um, And it's a song where he's basically saying hope. And I've actually put some of the lyrics down in your handout. Have have a look at them with me. It says this, Torn, broke, you wanted to be more. If there's a time you felt like drinking, I bet it is now. And then a moment in time comes. Events and actions move to shape us. Make a decision. And then the chorus, hope Never lose what you see. All that is meant to be, you will find, is more with hope. The moment is past, it's gone, but you will never know. It will never be the same. And in fact, the whole song is like that. The, 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 the verses are all about, hey, you're going through a hard time, all this kind of stuff. But then the chorus is hope, hope. You've got to have hope, which is the general message. And can I say, once again, it's a great song, great Aussie band, Right? But it begs the question, where, do you get, where does hope come from? In fact, there's nothing in the song which says, here is your great hope. Here's where you're going to get hope from. And there's nothing like, and so you're left at the end of the song going, okay, I know I need hope. I know I need the belief that sometime in the future is going to be better than now. But the question is, Why should I have that? Why should I have that hope? 
And some of you guys are here going, well, hands, I, I totally get that because I hoped in people and they let me down. I hoped in, in organisations and they let me down. Maybe I, I, I hoped in a, in a spouse or a relationship and they let me down. I, I have hoped so much and I, and I just feel like I, I can't turn to anyone else. I, I, I don't know where there is hope today. Well, today we're going to look at a passage that is all about hope. So, see, in this section, Isaiah is not actually preaching to the people of his day. Isaiah was an 8th century prophet. He is preaching to people probably 200 years in the future. A group of people that have been taken away by Babylonian captivity. In fact, he prophesies that. Have a look at Isaiah chapter 39, just to give us some context. Chapter 39 beginning of verse 5, he says to Hezekiah, which is one of the kings, he says this, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. One day, he's saying, Isaiah, Isaiah is saying to Hezekiah, one day your descendants will be carried off to Babylon. And only a few centuries later, that's exactly what happens. And from chapter 40 onwards, chapter 40 to 55, we enter a section in Isaiah which is all about hope for these people. But also, it's all about hope for us today because the God who spoke those 2,800 years ago is the God we hear from in the Word today. And so we're going to have hope. We're going to see three things as we look at this passage. We're going to see hope in the forgiveness of God, hope and the Word of God, and hope and the coming of God. Let's have a look at our first point, hope and the forgiveness of God. Have a look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. It says this, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Those two words, comfort, comfort, are really striking because the first 39 chapters have been a lot of of prophecy about judgment. It's kind of dark in spots. There's definitely bits of hope, but now it turns. Now God is comforting his people. But do you see whose people it is? It's my people. Do you see how, whose God it is? It's your God. There is a personal relationship. This is the God who has been with them for hundreds of years. And this is their God. There's a relationship with them. And what does he say? Verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God is saying the, the time is over. He, he's looking into the future. Isaiah is looking into the future. There's a time for when, uh, when God is punishing them for their sin, but that time is over. In fact, God is wiping away by His grace alone their sin. What Isaiah is saying, what God is saying is the first thing that you guys need to hear is that you are still God's people despite your sin. And the second thing that you need to hear is that there is forgiveness for your sin. Your sin which took you into Babylon, God will forgive. 
God will forgive because he's a gracious God. Like the prodigal in, in Luke chapter 15, they've got, they know that there is a heavenly father who loves them, who will forgive their sin. And this is the God who keeps his promise to his people. Whatever God's people have done, he keeps their promises. He keeps his promises to them. Because God is a gracious God. God is in the business of forgiving people. That's what he does. But I wonder if you saw that word paid there. Sin has been paid for. It seems like there's a debt here. And and maybe you are looking at this passage and going, I don't believe in a God who we owe a debt to. And can I, can I just say maybe you haven't thought enough about the way that what we do injures relationships. I remember hearing a story from, from a preacher named John Chapman. I, I dare say a lot of you guys have heard uh, John Chapman and he's gone to be with Jesus, but he used to tell great stories. And one of the stories was he was driving along one day when out of the blue uh, another car hit him. And he thought, oh, it's not a big deal. He'll just get out of the, the car and go to the person and go, okay, just give me your insurance, we'll work it all out. But to his shock and horror, a 14-year-old boy got out of the, the car. And he said, like, are you 18? And he's going, no, 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 I'm actually 14. And he goes, I've got no insurance. And he goes, well, I'm sure you've got money to pay. He goes, I've got no money. He goes, well, what were you doing driving a car? He goes, well, I've just started going out with this girl. I wanted to impress her, so we thought we'd take a a, a spin around the block. That's what I thought thought we'd do. And he said, don't you realize you're in a very, very big predicament? Either I've got to pay for the damage you inflicted, or you've got to. Either I call the police and you pay for this, or I let it go and, and I pay for it. What should I do? And he ends the illustration there. And I asked him after, I said, Chapo, what did you do? Did you pay for it or did you call the police? He goes, I did the Christian thing. And I was like, what does that even mean? But, but the story shows something. When there's been a breach in a relationship, when there has been an injury, someone's got to pay. And our sin against God is so big It's got to be paid for, but here what Isaiah is saying is it has been paid for. But who's paid for it? Well, that's what verse 3 goes on to. Have a look at verse 3. A voice of one calling in the desert, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people, all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How can comfort be given to a sinful people? How can forgiveness happen for a sinful people? Well, what Isaiah's answer in these few verses is that God is going to bring forgiveness. God himself is going to bring comfort. The, the, the very people who cannot save themselves, God is coming to save them. The very people who can't forgive themselves, God is coming to forgive. That is what God is doing. 
And notice how it's like a processional for a king. Everything is going to be made flat. Everything is going to be easy for this king, which shows you the power of this king. The king who comes to forgive, this is not a problem for him. He is that powerful. And we know that this king is the Lord Jesus himself because we saw in Mark chapter 1, as Steph read out earlier, that these words that Isaiah said, well, he was looking into the future and they are actually about John the Baptist who was preparing the way for the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the one who deals with your sin. Jesus, as he went up onto the cross, he was going to deal with your sin, your guilt and your shame. So you stand before God now totally forgiven. Totally forgiven. See, I think one of the things when we think about our sin, so much of the time we think that God is kind of siding with us against our, uh, uh, against our sin. Uh, sorry, against us. He, he is he's angry with us. And yet that couldn't be further from the truth. God in Jesus has dealt with your sin. Jesus sides with you against your sin, not with your sin against you. Jesus sides with you against your sin, not against you because of your sin. But, but some of you guys are going, well, hands, I, I just don't feel it. Now, I know that, I sing that, but my heart doesn't rejoice at it. But you know that there are some realities that you don't feel, but you know them to be true, right? There's some things where your body or your mind or your emotions have to catch up to what is real. The other day I went out to lunch with a friend of mine and um, I was eating away and uh, I heard this week or in the past couple of weeks that your body takes about 15 minutes to tell you when it's full. And so when you're still hungry, you're probably already full. Your body just hasn't caught up, right? Which is terrible news to me because I just like to eat and eat and eat because that's one of my pastimes, right? And yet my body, there's a reality here and I, my body needs to catch up to me feeling full when really in reality I am. If you feel like you're not forgiven, reality is you are. And what you need to do is you need to remind yourself on a daily basis that you are forgiven. That that sin that comes back to haunt you, that that's been dealt with in its entirety. God is not looking down on you and saying, hey, you remember you did this. No. God is saying to you, remember, I dealt with that. I am the God who comes and forgives I am the God who deals with your sin. As Jesus died on the cross for you. See, on the cross, you were forgiven. On the cross, you were washed clean. On the cross, you were pardoned. On the cross, your debt was paid. On the cross, your relationship with God was restored. On the cross, you were redeemed. On the cross, you were adopted as one of God's children. You, on the cross, your soul was saved. 
On the cross, hell was defeated. On the cross, your ticket to heaven was stamped. On the cross, eternity was with God was made yours. It's complete. It's over. It's finished. Are you living in response to that? Or do your feelings need to catch up with the reality? Do you need to go home and remind yourself on a daily basis that when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, would I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin? Because that's part of our great hope. Our great hope is that God has forgiven us for our multitude of sins, both past, present, and in the future. But also, there is hope because of the Word of God. Have a look at verse 6 with me as we look at our second point, hope in the Word of God. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All the people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like flowers of the field, The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. What's he saying here? He's saying, have a look at the people out there. They look so permanent. Look at the rulers there. Look at the the countries and, and the nations that are seemingly ruling. Oh, don't you realize they are like grass that are just here one day and tomorrow they're gone. They are just gone. I, one thing I've never understood about my wife, there, actually there's, there's a lot of things, to, to be honest. There's a lot of things. I love my wife, but there's so many things I don't understand about my wife. Here's what I don't understand. And men, maybe... Maybe you, you'll get this, right? There is something about giving flowers to my wife that makes her light up like a Christmas tree. I don't get it. You know, I can spend, you know, 10 bucks at Woolies or, no, actually, I spent at least $100 on flowers and, and give them to her and she lights up, right? And then what happens? She puts them in a vase or vase or whatever and uh, she says, oh, thank you, they're beautiful. And she mentions a few times. But you know what happens to them? They just slowly die. And it feels really weird for me to say, hey, here are a bunch of flowers. They symbolize my love for you and they're going to die, right? It's just a bit weird. But that's what they do. They just die and then you throw them away because they're so impermanent. What what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah is that humans are like those roses. They look beautiful. They look so amazing, but guess what? In the blink of an eye, they're just crusty and the wind blows and they go. And haven't you felt that, especially those of us who are growing older? You know, we used to be young and sprightly, but now we're not. I play basketball with a bunch of 20-year-olds, which is generally humiliating. And it's interesting, after an hour and a half, they are still looking fine. I am hobbling off the court. One of them said the other day to me, oh, Hans, what are you going to do after we, after we played for an hour and a half? And, and 
I said, oh, I don't know. What are you going to do? He goes, oh, mate, I'm going out to the pub. I'm doing this. I'm doing that, blah, blah, blah. He's got all this stuff. And, he, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to go home and die and, uh, because everything is fading. And, and that's what Isaiah is saying. He's saying humans are just like that. The, the, you know, they're just here one day and gone. But did you also see that it's not just them, but it's their faithfulness. Have a look at verse 6 uh, again. All people are like grass and all their faithfulness. It's like the flowers of the field. The, the idea there is that uh, we are, are, are unable to, to actually keep our word, Isaiah is saying. We want to do the right thing, but actually we don't have that ability. Sin has wrecked that. And so he's saying that's what we're like. Now imagine if you are an Israelite, you've been taken off into captivity and you see the might of Babylon around you, and you hear these words, what do they say to you? They say, the might of Babylon is actually ridiculously puny. It is going to be destroyed one day, just like a bunch of flowers or grass in the field. It will be just a footnote on, in human history. That's all it will be. And look at the empires around today. We look at China. We look at the Western Empire. We look at the, the United States. What are they going to be in a 1,000 or 10,000 years' time? They'll be just chapters in history. Nothing more than that. And yet, did you see the word of God in the midst of that? Verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but... The word of our God endures forever. When I speak words, they go out and they may be recorded, or, but, but really, they're not going to endure forever. I don't think anyone's going to be listening to my words in a thousand years' time, but in a billion years' time, God's word, his promises are still going to be there. And they're still going to be relevant because we're going to be able to see that God came through. He fulfilled his promises so, see, the thing is, what, what he's saying to us is don't rely on man. Rely on God and his word because man doesn't endure, but God's word does. God's word does. And so what are you keeping your confidence in? Is it man or is it God's word? See, reliance on God's word is not something stupid or a superstition. It is not trusting in something like trusting the stars or, or, or a good luck charm. No, Reliant, trusting in God's words means we are trusting the God who always keeps his promises. The God who is for us in every season we go through. Trusting in God's words means that we're trusting in the God who has every resource to help us. Every resource to come through when we need him. Every resource to fulfill those promises. How's your trust in God today? See, are you trusting in God's promises that he has forgiven your sin? Are you trusting in God's promises that, yes, you do have a hope that, that goes beyond this world? 
Are you trusting in God's promises that where, when he says one day he's going to wipe away every tear, all the tears that you have cried, he's going to wipe away. Are you trusting in God's word today? Because God is the God who always keeps his promises. He, he told Abraham that he would have a child. He told Abraham that he would be a blessing. He, he told Abraham that he would have a great nation. And God came through on those promises God told Moses that through him he would save Israel from the clutches of Egypt and God came through on the promises. God told David that one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever. He came through on that promise in Jesus. God told us all the way through the Old Testament that he was going to make a way to deal with our sin and he did in Jesus he made a promise that Jesus would be raised from the dead, and he did. He promised us the Holy Spirit, and he came through. Our God is a God who always keeps his promises. So are you trusting in his word today? Because if you trust in his word, in his promises, you have a great hope that transcends suffering and death. Because he said one day you'll be raised from death and you will have every tear wiped from your eyes. And God will come through on that promise because he has come through on every promise because the word of our God endures forever. Unlike the word of humans or unlike humans in general. But there's one last thing. The hope and the coming of God. Have a look at verse 9 with me. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, he is your God. He's saying to the very people who were, who were speaking to Jerusalem in the first few verses of chapter 40, now they're going to, to the countryside and saying, God is coming. God is coming. He is your God. And what's this God like? Have a look at verse 10. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He, he tends uh, his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lands in his arms. And he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads, leads those who have young. Here is the God who is coming for his people. And one of the things that's kind of obscured by our, by our English translations, I just want to point out. Have a look at the end of verse 9 where it says, He is your God. In the original, there's a word there, look. And then we have a look in verse 10, both where it says see in verse 10. That is once again in the original Hebrew, the word look. So three times it's, it's this word, look, 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 here is God. Here is God. He is coming for his people. It, it's a bit like this. I'm not sure if you like action movies like me. I love action movies. Uh, um, th there's always this part in a lot of action movies where everything looks, looks lost. Everything, they're defeated. It's terrible. And then the hero comes. And, and everyone's gaze turns and looks at the hero. It's like, look, look, he's finally here. This is what is happening here. Everything seems to be lost there in Babylon. But look, our God is coming. Our God is coming to save. But once again, do you see the two pictures of God? 
In verse, verse 10, he, he's a warrior. He, he rules with a mighty arm. Verse 11, he's this comforting, comforting shepherd. And, and some of us are going, well, I really like the shepherd thing. Shepherd's good. It makes me feel good. I don't like the warrior thing. That's kind of violent and everything like that. I remember talking to um, a lady a number of years ago. She was, um, she was speaking at a conference that uh, I, was, I was speaking at. And, I, and it was one of those times when I went after the conference. I shouldn't have spoken at that conference, but it's a whole different story. But, but she was speaking, and she, she got up after I spoke, and she said, um, well, I'm glad that Hans believes in a God who actually um, judges and all this kind of stuff. And, and she talked about all the things. And she goes, but I believe in a comforting God. And it's almost like she was saying, can I either believe in a God who brings judgment and brings justice or a comforting God? You can't have both. But here is Isaiah saying, actually, no, God is both. How does that work? Well, I, just think about it if you're a little lamb, right? Now, now, if you're a lamb, you're probably so dumb that you, no matter how good the shepherd is, you probably feel safe, right? But in reality, you will only be safe and comforted well if you know, if you know that your shepherd is strong enough to deal with the lions and the wolves and the bears, then you'll be truly safe. But think about your problems now. If God was just a God of comforting, if God was just a God who came to you and goes, there, there, you'll be okay, that's nice. But you won't really feel safe. Why? Because can he really deal with your problems? Can he really one day deal with the evil in this world? Can he really, is he strong enough to have defeated death. You you see, this is why the resurrection is so important, isn't it? Because if Jesus rose physically from the dead, that means he is strong enough to defeat your greatest enemies, Satan, sin, and death. And therefore, you have comfort from that because that means this world can throw anything at you. And God in his strength and power will help you stand. Why? Because your greatest enemies have been defeated. So here we see a God who is both the warrior, who deals with injustice and evil, and the one who comforts. And he comforts because he can deal with injustice and evil. You've got to have both. Because it is the God's arm which is raised in triumph over his enemies is the same arm that is lowered in compassion towards his people. It's, it's God's hands who hold the sword of judgment are the same hands that were nailed to a cross for your forgiveness. It is God's feet that walk towards confront, confrontation with evil and sin this were the same feet that walked up the hill of Calvary to deal with the evil and sin that is in your heart. God is both a God who is a warrior and a comforter. 
And we see that ultimately on the cross. As, as a warrior, he defeats our sin. And as we know our sin has been taken care of, we are comforted with the hope that that brings. You have a great hope today because you have a great God today. So look to him in your problems. Look to him when your body is breaking down. Look to him when you are tired. Look to him because he is the one who has defeated your greatest enemies. And if he has defeated your greatest enemies, what are the problems in your life for him? Oh, they're so insignificant. They are significant for you. I am not trying to downplay your problems at all. But you trust in a God who is all-powerful. You trust in a God who is so powerful, who is the warrior, king, comforter, forgiving God. See, we have a great hope today because Isaiah 40, 1 to 11 is talking about who our God is, that he's a forgiving God, that he's a God whose word can be trusted because he always keeps his promises because he has the power to fulfill them. And he is the God who came in Jesus to come and save us. And one day he will come again in Jesus to take us home. That is the great hope that you have. That is the great hope that we're all looking for. That is the great hope that I wish Thirsty Merck would, read, would, would write another chorus and talk about the great hope that we have in Jesus. Because in the end, he is our great hope. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that in a, in a world that is starving for hope, I thank you that we have a great hope in you. We have a great hope in Jesus. Lord, I pray for those of us now that are weighed down by problems here. Lord, help them to look to you, the one who always comes through on your promises, the one who is powerful enough to deal with those problems. Lord, help us to trust in you when we don't know what's going to be around the corner. Lord, for those of us who feel so guilty, so so weighed down by our sin, our guilt, and our shame. Help us to look to you who made an end to our sin. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you are the God who, who has dealt with our sin. Lord, I thank you that you side with us against our sin. You do not side with our, uh, against us because of our sin. Lord, help us to rejoice. Help our hearts to be gripped by the ma that message. Lord, I thank you that you sent Jesus to deal with our sin. You're sending Jesus one day to bring us home. So we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.